This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. From hockey to wrestling, football to golf, no sport left unturned. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on the new AM740. And if you're listening in downtown Toronto, you can get a clearer signal on 96.7 FM. Tune us in there. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. As usual, with me in studio this morning, uh, my co-host, Naz Marchese. Good morning, Naz, and a happy long weekend to you. Good morning, Wally. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank go you very much. Go Blue Jays, go. go Let's Blue... go Blue Jays. Eh? Uh, we, are a, we are a radio program, so I will try and paint a picture for you. Uh, Naz is fully decked out in his Blue Jay blue this morning with his, uh, with his uh, trusty... Blue Jays cap. Yeah, Alex Anthopoulos and uh, Paul Beeston left this team in bad shape, didn't it? <laughs> uh, certainly a little bit of uh, tongue-in-cheek there, Naz. Uh, they uh, certainly, uh, I know what you intend to say there. You intended to say <laughs> that Alex Anthopoulos and Paul Beeston uh, did a fantastic job before they left last year. And uh, certainly this team seems to have uh, turned it into an... Um, seems to have uh, been able to switch into a different gear. And, and at this uh, time last year, they were 500, Wall. They were 500. And You're right. Now, I uh, checked the stats last night. Uh, I thought they had made their run earlier in July last year, but in fact they didn't. On this day last year, they were six games out. And you are correct, Naz. They were 500. And 12 days later, last year, August the 12th, they were already in first place. So... From August the 1st last year to August the 12th, they had they took a run at the Yankees, and in 12 days, they uh, went from six games back to uh, to first place. And, of course, from there, they had the best record in the majors the rest of the season. Uh, but certainly, uh, they're, I guess we can say they're now ahead of the game because as of this morning, they are in first place in the American League East. So we're ahead of schedule. Would you trade uh, David Price for Jay Happ now? Wally, <laughs> uh, you throw me out these tough ones, Naz. Uh, um, I, I said Jay Happ wasn't a good signing. Boy, was I what? right? We, we you oh know, certainly God. on the Jay Happ. You know what? We are, we are, uh, uh, we when we're wrong, we're wrong. Uh, Boy, were and, we wrong? And uh, we're not too proud to admit it. But when when uh, when the Jay signed Jay Happ, we weren't big fans of that signing. And certainly we got proved wrong, as a lot of other people did. Um, Jay Happ has continued, certainly wasn't this successful in his first go-around with the Jays, wasn't this successful in the first half season last year. Was it with the Mariners? Was he in the Mariners last year? Yeah, first Mariners, half. but he, play, he pitched well with the Pirates. And, that, though, and that's when he turned it around. Yeah. So certainly the powers that be down at Blue Jay Management, um, um, they saw something there that uh, – 
that they thought he'd continue, and uh, he's a Cy Young candidate. Yeah, uh, they have two legitimate guys. They have Sanchez and uh, Hap as Cy Young candidates. Sanchez is 11-1, and one and Hap is 14-3 and three record with a 3.16 ERA in a hitter's ballpark. And you know— the Yankees is the hitter's ballpark, and Boston is too. So, you know, to have those stats, you know, pitching-wise, you know, it's pretty good. <laughs> interestingly enough, at the, when we when we analyzed the season uh, at the beginning, we thought that the uh, starting rotation might be the weak spot on this team. And, boy, were we wrong. And not only us, I think a lot of other yeah. observers uh, thought that the uh, Blue Jays, uh, that that was going to be their weakness, and certainly it's uh, absolutely been their strength. I've heard a lot of things lately about Sanchez, and I hear this could be his last start today, and he's going to the bullpen after. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about that, Naz. Um, you're, you're, you've got a Cy Young candidate, um, and, you know, you're throwing him out there every fifth day, and... Um, He's almost like, uh, I wouldn't say a guaranteed win, but uh, certainly the stats are lining up pretty good for you. Um, there's divided opinion about that. Um, I was reading an article on in on the Bleacher Report about, uh, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he was influential in the old Atlanta Braves staff when they had Glavin and Smoltz and, uh, and uh, all those guys. And, uh, you know, they, they didn't put these guys on... Uh, innings counts or, or, or uh, pitch counts or whatever. Um, but uh, the, the philosophy these days, certainly with young pitchers, is at the beginning of the season, you give them a number and you say, you know, you're only, going, you're only pitching X amount of pitches per game. We don't care what happens. And you're only pitching so many innings in the entire year. And when you hit that number, you're done. Um, and that seems to be a current philosophy in baseball, especially with young arms. Um, it's going to be a tough one for the Jays. Um, yeah, it automatically strengthens their bullpen for sure, which which they're having problems with still. But they're that still that opens that but, opens up but, because Dickey. I mean, let's you know he eats up innings, but uh, you know yeah, he, you know, he, he, he isn't he isn't this, eating, this up eating up that. innings stuff is you know what's the use of eating up innings if you're going to go seven and thirteen with an ERA of five point five? I mean, you have to be good to eat up those innings, like Burley was. They they take a catcher that can't play in the major leagues, and they have to have a spot for him because he's the only guy who can catch Dickey. So they're at a disadvantage. So when it comes to that. I'm not an R.A. Dickey fan, as you can you can tell. As I can tell, yeah. So, what do you do with uh, uh, what do you do with the rotation from here well, to the end of the year? You, if you drop Sanchez back to the bullpen, I guess you've solved your bullpen problem in, in theory. That's for sure. Certainly, for certainly, sure. as Cecil seems to be, you know, he had a really really rough go uh, the first part of the season, and, and and seems to have worked through it. Correct me if I'm wrong, Nez, but the last couple of outings. Yeah, he's pitched well. He pitched well yesterday, too. Grilly uh, has uh, performed very well in, in, in the position he's in, but he's no Sanchez. So. Yeah, any thoughts on uh, the guy they brought in for in the Storin uh, deal? Wow. Well, just mean, a throw-in? It's, it's it, going to be of any use? It, he could be good. He may not be. You never know with these guys. They come over with a new team. They end up changing a couple of things, and they end up being okay. But, so you never know. But the plan looks like Hutchinson will come up as the fifth starter or 
they make a trade by t- by tomorrow at four o'clock. That's the trade deadline day is tomorrow at four o'clock. So we'll look at the trade deadline day first to see what the Jays do with their pitching. Well, the, well, the big oh, I wouldn't call it a big move, but the move they made this uh, this week, uh, bringing them in from out west, uh, the Padres. Uh, Mel- B- Melvin Upton, Melvin Junior, B- J. Upton, yeah. Okay, so give us give us the uh, give us the scouting report on Melvin Upton Junior because uh, that one sort of came. Um, I, I don't think people were necessarily expecting that one, uh, yeah, it, and, it, and 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 seems like the Padres are. I mean, it's a low 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 cost, uh, a low risk move from the Jays' point of view because Padres are picking up most of his salary for the for the next little while. So he, he where, where does he fit in in this lineup, and how does he help? He has some pretty good numbers in the past, uh, back in two thousand and eight, and that's a long time ago. He hit, he hit uh, twenty five or twenty six homers with Tampa Bay. I think it's a good deal for them because he can steal bases, he can uh, pinch run, he can do a lot of things out there. And he's better defensively than uh, Saunders is, too. So you may see a situation where he You're spells see off a platoon Saunders, here? platoon there, and uh, Batista goes and plays DH, and uh, he goes out and Upton goes out in the outfield. So it's a useful piece. It is. Touched on it really, really briefly. Um, we're obviously getting down to the short strokes for the trade deadline. See, uh, see the Blue Jay uh, management doing anything here? Well, Next. I think they are going to do something. I don't, I don't know what uh, uh, what they're going to do. I think they they need a pit, they need pitching. Their hitting is solidified. There's no problem with the hitting. One to nine, great lineup. So I see the pitching. Now, it, concerning the race, though, you know, you got Boston, Baltimore, and Toronto. I think Toronto pulls away in the next month. I really do, and I think they, they'll be up by five, six games by the end of the season. Because I don't Boston. I was we were talking about this earlier, Wally. They have played sixteen more home games than away games, and it's hard to win on the road in baseball. So I I don't see the Red Sox being in the in the picture at the end. I see Baltimore and Toronto. Uh, certainly, uh, it's going to be a run uh, run for the next couple of months. Hopefully, uh, you know the one one criticism um, I had last year when it happened uh, the you know and. It's easy to have this, but I see it every time a team does this. The Jays let the the pedal off the metal the last week when they clinched. Yeah, and I think ultimately, um, you know that you know hindsight's twenty twenty. Obviously, it's easy to be a Monday morning quarterback, but uh, maybe that Kansas City series would have been different if the Jays had have had the extra home game. Makes a difference as long as the roof is open, right? As long as the roof twenty-three was open. and ten when the roof is open, that's pretty good. That's we'll pretty certainly good. keep that's the Nas the Nas edge. We'll certainly keep an eye on that. Anyways, it's time for our break. Just before we go to the break, just uh, a little recap: of what's coming on the rest of the show? Right after the break, we'll be talking to John Steinbreders. John is one of the world's most preeminent golf raiders. Uh, we've seen him on Masters.com and Global Golf Post. Winner of numerous awards for golf journalism. We'll be talking to John Steinbretter about uh, about the PGA and about Olympic golf and uh, and all things golf. We'll catch up with him. And after the middle of the hour, we'll be talking to Stephen Greigel. Stephen has uh, – we've been in touch with him over the course of the last couple of years about the NHL concussion litigation. Stephen is one of the attorneys involved in that litigation on behalf of the players' class action, and we've chatted with him about that action against the NHL and the whole the whole uh, concussion issue, which of course 
has been huge in the NFL and is gathering steam in the NHL. And Gary Bettman uh, was in the news again this week, and Stephen may have some interesting comments about a letter that Gary Bettman wrote uh, in response to a U.S. senator. So we'll be talking to Stephen Greigel, attorney for the players in the NHL uh, players' class action. We'll be right back after the break. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville announced that you can get a three-topping party pizza with 24 slices for just $24. It's perfect for large groups on a budget, like staff meetings, sports teams or special ops units. Go, 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 go! So before you break down any doors, get a three-topping party pizza with 24 square slices for just $24. Call Pizzaville on your cell phone at pound 3636. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Steel's Paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000-square-foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge, the best. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. From face-offs to playoffs, field goals to own goals, you're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. We're pleased to welcome back to the uh, Naz and Wally Sports Hour, John Steinbrenner. John Steinbrenner has been with us before. He is one of the preeminent golf writers. He's won numerous honors uh, with the Golf Writers Association of America. He's a contributor to Masters.com and senior writer to Global Golf Post, which is uh, a fantastic digital golf magazine. Good morning, John. How are you? 
Oh, very well. How are you doing today? We're doing great, and thank you so much for joining us, uh, of oh, course. My pleasure. Oh. This is uh, PGA uh, Sunday, and uh, the weather hasn't cooperated, uh, certainly in the last couple of days, John, uh, but I'll, I'll get to it. Uh, they're playing at Baltusrol this this uh, week down in New Jersey, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know, You're, you may be closer to the situation. It just, uh, up here, uh, you know, there doesn't seem to be that much of a buzz. It doesn't seem like, you know, uh, you look around, it's the end of July, and this is supposed to be one of golf's majors. Um, um, you get the same sense down there that there's there's no buzz about this PGA Championship? Well, yeah, it's been kind of a weird, I mean, it's, it's a terribly weird summer with uh, golf because, and, and Mickelson spoke a little bit about it the other day, but there's no rhythm to the whole season. We're having the PGAs being held a few weeks early to accommodate the Olympics, so there was, you know, the Open Championship, there's one week off, and then you've got the PGA, so there's no sense of build-up, no you know, drama leading up to it, no time to sort of delve into different storylines, um, so I think that's had more to do with it than anything else. I mean, we're all distracted down here in the States, too. We've got this uh, this presidential election <laughs> with, with two uh, highly... Um, unpopular candidates and and uh their conventions have just taken place so uh certainly here in the states we've been bombarded with uh politics for the last two three weeks and um that's been an issue as well you've had this uh, scheduling situation with the olympics you've had the olympics you know story after story after story about the olympics which are not good including you know how foul the water is down there and how few uh, top golfers are going to be playing there, and I think you have all of that going on as well. And maybe there's a little bit of a hangover coming off that unbelievable Open Championship in that last day of golf, especially. But you know that was you know starts off with Mickelson uh, lipping out for the record 62 on Thursday of that week, and then he and uh, Stenson in that duel for the ages on Sunday, and. And we've got no time to to catch our breath. And the next thing you know, this is coming on here at, at Baltusrol. And and then, of course, we have the weather, which is unbelievably uh, hot and humid down here. And these rainstorms and rain showers, and uh, they've got more of that coming on. And we talked about today being PGA Sunday. We may be talking about Tuesday being PGA Tuesday as well, because it may not be until then that a winner is declared out at Baltusrol because this weather, it's, it's cloudy and hot and humid again today. It's already rained some this morning, and it's supposed to be kind of doing that on and off all day. So uh, a multitude of things conspiring to make this um, a less than memorable PGA championship, at least at the moment. Dustin Johnson and Rory McIlroy both missed the cut. One of them, Johnson, looks like he's fatigued. He, it looks like he's played golf for the last six weeks straight. Is that a big factor in some of the golfers out there? It's a huge factor. And, I mean, we all know just as regular old players, uh, you know, if we we play in a three-day member guest and you play three days hard and you're grinding and, you know, it takes a lot out of you. You can't, you know, at the level that they're playing at and the intensity of of those situations and uh, the pressure and, uh, you know, these arduous five- and six-hour rounds and, and all the work they put in anyway and the constant travel, I mean, these guys have got to be exhausted. They've got to be beat. I'm sure that Dustin's plate was very full post-U.S. Open um, in terms of commitments and doing things and people wanting more time with him. And, you know, again, these guys, and I know they travel in a much different way than, you know, Hogan and Hagen and those guys did years ago going to and from the British, but... 
you know, my God, they were just, you know, they go all the way over there, they come back. Um, uh, I'm sure he's very, very fatigued. I think you see this a lot with first, first-time major championship winners, and I'm, I'm sure his his life and schedule get a little busy uh, after uh, Oakmont. Well, the the they, they they got a couple of cracks at Baltusrol again. There's uh, the leaders still have uh, two 18s to play, and Baltusrol is. Um, is is a course that's considered a major championship caliber course. There's been you know various majors over the year. The one I specifically remember. Correct me if I'm wrong, John. Maybe your memory is better than mine. I believe uh, Nicholas won there in 1980. Um, he won there in '93 as well. He's won. He's yeah. he won two U.S. Opens there. He loves. So uh, Baltusrol certainly is on. Is 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 considered uh, in the rotation of. Uh, as one of those courses that the majors go to, uh, you know, U.S. and U.S. Open and PGA every now and then, mm-hmm. what makes Baltusrol uh, a major championship course? What it, what uh, what what skills does it does it uh, does it take a golfer to get around there and win there? Well, it's it's funny. This uh, this PGA is its seventeenth uh, major championship since its founding in eighteen ninety five. So that includes. Uh, U.S. Amateurs, it includes U.S. Opens, it includes U.S. Women's Opens and U.S. Women Amateurs, and and now, you know, a, a couple of PGAs. And so it's proven its mettle over the years and for a variety of different uh, styles of uh, uh, and types of tournaments. You know, mostly it's just, it's you know, it's, it's telling hast, it's, um, it's long, it's hard, it's fair. I mean, it's a classic Parklands uh, golf course. It was actually the site of the first island green, believe it or not. George Lowe, uh, who was a head professional there, developed, uh, built that um, uh, back in the very, very early days of the tournament, and it's obviously since been since been modified. But I just think it's it's sort of like Wingfoot in that same way. It's just a classic. Uh, you know, it have to be uh, have to be straight off the tee. You have to be uh, hit to the right right quadrant on the greens, and it's just a very demanding championship golf course uh, for these uh, for these players. So uh, I, I think it fell into favor early on with the USGA. They held a number of events here. The PGA's uh, got to be quite fond of it, and it just it holds up in these championships. Now, uh, Mickelson had a comment uh, yesterday after his round that he could see somebody shooting 61 or 62 today because the greens are absolutely perfect, but the, the course is so soft right now with all the rain that it's, uh, it's target practice. People do not have to worry about uh, uh, balls running uh, through, uh, through greens. They can go right at the pins. And, uh, but you know those conditions, unusual conditions today notwithstanding, it's a a very stern test. It's long. It's brawny. It's hard, and it, it really it makes players uh, play well off the tee and uh, and then hit their approaches uh, tight and putt well in order for them to win. There's one guy missing. Uh, he's been missing for a while. Uh, Tiger Woods. What have you heard about Tiger? I, I know he's hung him up for the season, but I haven't heard a thing. I mean, you know, your your information is as good as mine. I think it's clear that his. Uh, you know he's clearly not good good enough shape physically to you know be playing um, at this level to be sure, but I, to even be playing at all, and it's uh, it's just oddly um, you know silent when you think about it. I mean he's so out of the conversation in so many ways, and uh, you just don't hear people asking about him. I mean you know with my regular games with my friends uh, and, and when we sit around and talk about. Uh, professional golf or amateur golf or anything, any type of competitive golf, you know, Tiger's name is just never brought up anymore. He's, uh, 
he's really kind of gone out of the picture, and I haven't heard anything except obviously he's still hurting a great deal physically. It's just nowhere near ready, and and, and who knows when we're going to see him. Uh, we're talking to John Steinbretter. John's one of golf's preeminent writers, and also you can find him at globalgolfpost.com. It's a fantastic digital golf magazine. John, uh, something new in golf this year, which is golf at the Olympics. And when they announced it a few years back, I, 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 you know, my initial assessment of it was why, other than the fact that Canada is the defending champion. In case, <laughs> John, in case you didn't know that, Canada is the defending champion in golf. It happens to be back in 1904, but we, we will claim, lay claim to the title that we are the defending champions. But, John, uh, I, I never quite understood, uh, and, 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 and I like your thoughts on it, how you squeeze golf in the Olympics into a sport that's more a sport of individuals rather than teams, uh, Ryder Cup and President's Cup aside, but they've, they've set it up as a medal play tournament. And, you know, these, these sports already have their majors. And you're talking about individual athletes, not team athletes. And, and, it, and, and I'm not surprised that, that they're taking a pass. And I'm not so sure it's the Zika virus. That, uh, I, th- I think it's much more than that. I just It's a lack of interest or people are a little bit careful about the testing that's going on. Uh, your thoughts about golf in the Olympics? Is, is this? Uh, I mean, it's maybe early, but is, is this a mistake? Well, I was of the view when this was first announced that it made as much sense as it made having tennis in the Olympics. In other words, here you had a sport that already had its major championships. There was no way an Olympic medal is ever going to be comparable to um, winning at Wimbledon or winning at the U.S. Open or at the Australian or the French and. Uh, and I didn't understand it, and I thought it was just um, just ridiculous. But what uh, what I came to understand and, and learn as I uh, looked at this golf thing more and talked to people like Ty Vota and Peter Dawson about it was that by making golf an Olympic sport, it allowed the uh, governing bodies of the golf federations around the world to then access huge amounts of money from their national sports federations and whatnot that would not have been there otherwise if it was not an Olympic sport. So I think Ty and Peter and, and the powers that be at the International Golf Federation and, and, and the people who were behind this were really looking at it as the ultimate international grow the game initiative. And that it would, you know, free up money so places like Malaysia and places like Morocco and places like Argentina and uh, wherever that wanted to grow golf, that wanted to develop the game a little bit, all of a sudden could find the money to start and, and nurture and build national golf programs. So that to me made a lot of sense. I started to get behind it. I started to think, yeah, you know, this is really a good idea. And anything that helps grow the game of golf, I'm for. The problem is, is that, as you mentioned, a couple things. One, they created a format that is totally boring individual 72-hole stroke play event, and B, they made it all about the professionals, which I think was important from the, uh, as far as the IOC was concerned. They wanted the top world players to come there. They didn't want a bunch of amateurs to come there. But maybe had they made it more like a team event with amateur players, you would have had the benefit of bringing all this money into the game to help it develop. But yet, a format in a situation that made it a lot more compelling and when the news would be about the competition and golf returning as opposed to the news being mostly about how many people are not playing in it. 
We're talking. So it, it, I think it could be it could be made to work if it was, you know, modified a little bit in how they approach this and how they do this down the road. I mean, maybe uh, you know, make it one pro and one amateur. Maybe you make it a you know two uh, men and two women teams. Um, you know, maybe you do what they just did sort of at the International Crown out in the Merritt Club in Chicago with that competition when you've got sort of eight nations competing. But you find a way to make it a little bit more of a team event, a little bit more compelling, and, and you grow from there. So we'll see what happens. But I think clearly uh, the bottom line intent is great. The execution and maybe the way they wanted to do it initially is not great. I think there was a lot of pressure in the IOC to have the – you know, the uh, Rory McIlroy's and the Adam Scott's and the and Jordan Spieth were at the time when they were doing it, the Tiger Woods playing in this. Um, and uh, we'll see what they can do next time. I hope there is a next time because I do worry that, you know, some of the guys in the IOC are ticked off, that so many people have dropped out. Now they're going to stop their support for golf as an Olympic sport. Who knows? Let's hope that doesn't happen. As for why people aren't going now, I think Zeke is a very convenient excuse. Um, I think the biggest thing is security down there. Um, I just don't think people feel comfortable in Brazil. Um, you know, as you know, the president is currently being impeached. Um, the past president's about to go to jail. Um, the law and order does not exist in the city of Rio. I don't think Bertie Ecclestone, the uh, you know the head of Formula One racing, his uh, I think it's his mother-in-law was recently kidnapped. Uh, she's Brazilian. Um, for ransom, um, you know, I just think it's kind of a disaster down there, and I think it's a uh, you know, the country's in terrible shape, and the Olympic situation down there is not in good shape. And I think a lot of these guys are scared; they're huge targets. They're worth a ton of money, and I don't know that they were that comfortable with security and whatnot. And I think that is as much reason not to do it as as, as anything else. We've been talking to John Steinbrenner. John Steinbrenner, one of golf's preeminent writers, and John. Unfortunately, we got to let you go. There's one topic, one more question. I've uh, we'll we'll, we'll sure. get you back on to talk about, and maybe you can give me a ten or fifteen second comment. Uh, I know that you're uh, you love playing uh, fantastic golf courses, and you're uh, a purist, and uh, you appreciate fine golf courses. And Canada has one of uh, one of the world's great new golf courses, and you and I have chatted about it because we've both played it, Cabot Cliffs out in uh out in uh, Cape Breton and uh it's it's open to incredible uh ratings it's vaulted itself to the number 1 course in Canada according to Score Golf magazine up here in uh 30 seconds or less uh John uh give us your assessment of Cabot Cliffs and does it fit in as one of the world's great golf courses I think it's very early to be ranking something that high, and I, I love the folks that scored. At Golf Digest has done the same thing, but I, I will say this. Uh, run, don't walk, but run to Cabot Cliffs. It is fantastic layout. I walked it and played a few holes on it a couple of years ago as it was being built. I played several rounds there last year in the fall, and I think it is a fantastic golf course, and I think the combination of cliffs and its neighbor there, Cabot Lengths, um, make that destination and those two courses you know really a must play uh place for golfers uh, traditional golfers especially it's fantastic we've been talking to john steinbretter john uh, we really appreciate it uh, thanks so much for joining us and uh we'll catch up again soon listen i enjoyed it too thanks so much for having me on and we'll uh, we'll talk down the road thanks john cheers that of course was john steinbretter sharing his golf insights with us and uh uh, it's time to go to break, and as soon as we're back from break, and we'll be talking about concussions with Stephen Greigel, the uh, 
attorney, one of the attorneys for the NHL players and their class action against the NHL. We'll be right back. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville announced the Pepperoni Party Pizza Special. Get 24 slices for just $24. Can you eat it all in just 24 hours? 24 square slices smothered in pepperoni. You've also got to deal with six bottles of Pepsi. 24 plus six Pepsi for 24. Can you finish it? Go to pizzaville.ca for details. At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal, yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them every day. They've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour is a paid program. Opinions expressed on the show are those of Naz and Wally and their guests. You name it, they'll argue about it. No sport left unturned. The boys are back, the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto and we're pleased to welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour Stephen Greigold. Stephen is uh, one of the attorneys in the, um, in the class action lawsuit by the play- NHL players, National Hockey League players, against the NHL. And Stephen has been an integral part of that lawsuit He's a graduate of the Harvard Law School of 1986, an experienced jury trial lawyer, and a class action litigator. Good morning, Stephen. How are you? Good morning. I'm well. Thank you. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us on this uh, Sunday morning. We really appreciate it. And, My pleasure. And before we uh, – and I just want to uh, reiterate, uh, we promised we weren't going to talk politics we, 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 uh, I'm grateful for that. It's a bit of an embarrassment as a U.S. citizen at the moment. <laughs> well, we uh, we just had St- John Steinbretter on the uh, on on the line before you. Uh, John's a 
a senior golf writer with Masters.com, and uh, we were talking about the PGA and why nobody seems to be watching it. And he, he made the comment, Americans seem to be... Americans seem to be tired out with all this Trump-Hillary stuff. So we're not going to talk Trump-Hillary this morning, but we may talk a little bit of politics that involves the NHL. But before we get to that, uh, uh, Stephen, we've had you on before, and uh, we, uh, we know that you're a huge Montreal Canadiens fan, and we like to, we like to uh, tease you a little bit about that, being from Toronto. And uh, we're going to take the opportunity to tease you a little bit this morning, Stephen, about P.K. Subban. Of course, P.K.'s a Toronto boy, but he's no longer a Montreal Canadian, and uh, you're, you're one of the most passionate Montreal Canadian fans that I know. <laughs> uh, how did you react when that came over the wire? In two words, not well. <laughs> like many other Canadians fans, I found this a personal assault on my sense of the Montreal Canadiens. I still find it mysterious that we would trade away a defenseman that I consider to be one of the most skilled players I have ever had the pleasure of watching and what I consider to be a vital member of the Montreal community, a fellow who does wonders for the fan base, who's wonderful in the community, and on the ice I think his skill is unparalleled. And while I have nothing against Shea Weber and think he's a wonderful player, when you look at the contracts and look at their relative ages, I'm still not sure I understand this trade. But as a Canadiens fan, and ultimately being loyal, I am going to persevere and hope that Mark Bergevin knows what he's doing. Well, we're gonna, <laughs> after we're, last season, I'm just not so sure. Well, uh, let me tell you, the Naz, Naz and Wally here think uh, Mark Bergevin has done made some very astute moves in the uh, in the off season, and we'll we'll have uh, we'll have that PK Subban discussion uh, uh, with you at length another time. But I, I think the Habs are a vastly improved team. I really do. So well, I, the I, overall, the overall yeah. made some wonderful moves. I just would have preferred to see PK be part of the team that remained because I can't help but believe he makes everyone better. But after last season with Michel Therrien, I just did not think that this was a match that was necessarily made in hockey heaven. Anyway, Stephen, let's move away from your passion to your, to your expertise, your professional expertise. Uh, concussion, NHL, Batman was in the news this week. And I know you have a high respect for Gary Bettman and for his... Uh, for his prof, uh, his professional uh, expertise and uh, his intellect and whatever, but he's been um, criticized probably from all sides in terms of what happened this week. And, and I'd like to draw upon you to uh, perhaps explain to our listeners uh, that these hockey stories tend to get lost in the middle of the summer, and only us hockey pucks like Naz and I actually uh, follow this stuff. But uh, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, Stephen, um, there's a senator, is there a Connecticut senator called Blumenthal? There is indeed. And he wrote a letter, or I, I think he, did he write a letter to the NHL saying he wanted an explanation or a comment on the connection between concussions and CTE? Can, can did, you explain how that all developed? Well, I know that the... Congress in the United States, as you've known, has previously taken a very serious interest in the issue of concussions and their long-term effects. In fact, it was the congressional investigation concerning the NFL's approach to concussions and their long-term effects that ultimately led to the NFL retracting the studies that it had previously promulgated under Dr. Pellman and essentially having the two new leaders of the NFL concussion statement say before Congress, under serious pressure, that those studies were, quote, poisoned, close quote, quote, infected, close quote, and essentially scientifically invalid. They were nothing other than pretext for the NFL to continue business as usual. 
you may remember that the <clears throat> NFL studies under Dr. Pellman had said, you can return to play the same game as a concussion. <laughs> Essentially, the science was, if I may be so bold as to say, that NFL players had stronger brains than anybody else in the known universe. Well, of course, that's hogwash. And what I find interesting here is that Congress, continuing its interest, wrote to the NHL because it seems that the NHL, if I can use a phrase, is putting itself on the wrong side of history. Everyone seems to know that the association of repeated mild traumatic brain injuries hits to the head can result in long-term neurocognitive impairments and neurodegenerative diseases. And what we have here from Commissioner Bettman is a response to that letter in which Commissioner Bettman takes what I consider to be a highly litigation-driven, lawyer-drafted, essential list of talking points rather than a meritorious response to the fundamental question, which is that if there is this association, which is known, why aren't you doing more about it, and what have you done in the past that shows you are really, truly serious about addressing the problem as opposed to simply talking about the problem so that people would not harass you, so that you would look like you were doing something? Uh, I was a somewhat surprised, frankly, by Commissioner Bettman's response. It was highly legalistic, and I don't think necessarily met the thrust of what Senator Blumenthal wanted to know. And, uh, you know, I, I found it, uh, and we, we, we've chatted about, uh, about Commissioner Bettman on the show before, and uh, uh, respect uh, we, we've had for his, for his judgment or whatever, but this, this seems to be, he, uh, I guess, to cut to the chase, he listened to his lawyers more than he listened to his communications or perhaps PR people. Um, is that your sense? That is not only my sense. In fact, it's my conviction. Now, that's not based on anything other than 31 years plus of law practice. But reading that letter, which I'm sure was drafted by lawyers, it reads like nothing so much as the NHL's legal brief in opposition to our case. So frankly, I'm glad to have it, because if there were anything I weren't sure about concerning what the NHL's position is, I certainly have it now. What I do see in that letter, of course, are an awful lot of omissions, some of which I am not at liberty to talk about. I have to be somewhat circumspect because of my respect for Judge Nelson's admonition that we don't try our case in the press, and also because some of the documents that have been uh, produced in the case are confidential, some of them are not, and what is confidential and what is not is always somewhat in flux as the NHL tries to claw documents back saying, oh no, we didn't mean to let you have that, or that should be confidential, you can have it, but it's confidential. But having said that, when I look, for example, at Commissioner Bettman's letter, just a couple of inconsistencies to me seem wildly apparent. What we see is a list of all the warnings that the NHL has given players. Well, the NHL says in the same letter to Senator Blumenthal, but you can't possibly give a warning about chronic traumatic encephalopathy because the scientists haven't proven a cause-and-effect relationship. So essentially what they're saying out of one side of their mouth is, look at all the warnings we give, but out of the other side of their mouth they're saying, we can't possibly warn about CTE because nobody knows whether or not that is truly a cause-and-effect product of repeated blows to the head. So I look at that litany of warnings and I say, okay, so you're warning about something, but you're certainly not warning about the issue that's at the core of our case. Now, CTE is not the only issue about which we're concerned. That raises another point that I think is interesting. Commissioner Bettman cites the opinion of the Eastern District of Pennsylvania Judge Brody, Anita Brody, in the NFL concussion case. And he cites Judge Brody's finding, based on scientific literature, that there's no cause and effect proven yet. But Judge Brody was also at pains to say that the diagnosis of CTE, which was the issue she was focusing on, 
was, quote, strongly associated, close quote, with other neurodegenerative diseases that are compensated in the NFL settlement. For example, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and uh, dementia of two different levels. So what Judge Brody was really saying is that there are a number of neurodegenerative diseases that we are compensating in that case. And I noticed that Commissioner Bettman made nothing of that in his letter to Senator Blumenthal and didn't quote that part of the opinion from Judge Brody. In other words, we see, I think, a very selective, selective. recitation of the facts and of the medical literature here. Well, that, he's just, it's essentially an ad, he's advocating. He's absolutely. advocating. Absolutely. This was a litigation piece. Right. And you and would he, expect more, I mean, I, I get a lot of the criticisms of Commissioner Bettman is, comes from the point of view that he, he's just become, um, a, he's, he's an advocate for some rich owners as opposed to being someone who's representing the interests of the sport. Is that a fair assessment? I think certainly that is a fair assessment of a lot of the criticism. Now, it's a very difficult thing to parse out because Commissioner Bettman, while he's done a wonderful job in improving the stature of the league and certainly improving the league's coffers, filling them wonderfully with his negotiations for contracts and in his dealings with the PA, but I don't get the sense here that the NHL is truly acting as stewards of the game, as those who are taking care of what the NHL likes to call its family, including current players and retired players. And that, exactly as you say, Commissioner Bettman and the NHL League, as a group of executives, is entrenched in a litigation position rather than stepping back and saying, look, proven or not, epidemiologically certain or not, the fact of the matter is we have a number of retired players who are at risk, and we should be doing something to protect them. And that is why I was really somewhat taken aback by the reference to Todd Ewan at the end of the letter. One of the forms of relief our case seeks is evaluations of the retired players and medical monitoring of them. Had that been in place, I think it's fair to say Todd Ewan would be alive today, most likely. Todd Ewan would have been able to get proper testing, proper evaluation, and he would have heard that his clinical symptoms are not necessarily consistent with any long-term disease, and they may be related to something else. And if that program had been in place for Todd Ewan, just as it should be in place for all the retired players, he may not have suffered the anxiety that apparently helped to produce this tragic result. I found that very off-putting and somewhat surprising. Stephen, linesman Don Henderson is recovering from uh, injuries when he was hit by Weidman last year. Correct. What protection is there for the officials? Because that hockey is a fast game, as you know, and there's a lot of uh, bumping and grinding with officials, too, because they're, they're in the way, as, as so to speak. What protection do the officials have? Well, one, of course, immediate source of protection the officials have are the rules of the game. And as you know, the rules prohibit any contact with an official, particularly any contact that is deliberate. And that is directly relevant to the Weidman case basically three reasons easily stated. There is no doubt that Dennis Weidman, when he was hit in the corner prior to getting up, stumbling, finally getting his bearings and heading to the bench, had been concussed. Dennis Weidman took a really hard hit to the head and exhibited what the NFL, NHL, I should say, refers to as a visible sign of concussion. The trainer on the bench said in his notes, that Weidman, quote, cleared, close quote, after a few minutes. The spotter in the stands said that Weidman appeared to have endured a visible sign of a concussion, which mandates 
an immediate evaluation in a quiet room under the NHL's own protocol to determine whether or not this player should be permitted to return to the game. That did not happen. So in terms of protection for the referees, part of that, of course, requires proper enforcement of the NHL's concussion protocol. And you may remember in what I thought was a glaringly conspicuous footnote in Commissioner Bettman's opinion on the Weidman appeal from the first level of discipline that whether or not Calgary, the Flames, Weidman's team, had complied with the protocol was a question for another day. I can answer that question. The Flames did not comply with the protocol. Under the NHL's own rules, Dennis Weidman was concussed and should have been removed from play. Point of the matter is Dennis Weidman did not have the requisite mental intent to hurt that referee. That seems quite clear from concussion literature and from the NHL's own protocol. So enforcing that protocol helps to protect the referees. Another form of protection, of course, the referees have is the culture of the game, where there is mutual respect among players and referees, or at least there is supposed to be. But that collision was the unfortunate result, the proximate result, of Dennis Weidman getting hit in the head and Dennis Weidman not being able, clearly, to think his way through to the weight of the bench. I looked at that case, and I looked at it very carefully. I have followed it. I have followed the NHL's uh, approach by now suing in court to overturn the arbitrator's decision. And I'm quite confident there the Calgary Flames did not comply with their protocol, which is one of the ways we keep officials protected. In fact, you may know officials are also supposed to report to uh, teams if they observe a visible sign of a player, because sometimes those visible signs go unnoticed. We're talking to Stephen Greigel, uh, attorney for the uh, uh, NHL players in the class action. Stephen, really, really quickly, we've just got a couple of minutes left. And we brought up this issue of Weidman. The other thing that's gone underneath the, the, the radar screen is the NHL has decided to appeal the, the arbitrator's ruling, uh, which, I found, which I found kind of bizarre as well. Um, uh, I don't get it. What, like, uh, as, I, don't know where, I don't know where that came from. And they also fired that particular arbitrator as well. What, right. And, 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 like, you know, you have this process in the collective bargaining agreement. Mm-hmm. And now – and it, it flies in the face of the, of the recent court ruling in, in the Brady case where, it, you know, you want to uphold with the, arbit- the internal process. Exactly. I find it very ironic, as I suspect you do. In our case, the NHL's primary argument to throw our case out of court – was that the entire case is governed by what the NHL says is the elaborate construct reached in collective bargaining with the National Hockey League Players Association, essentially saying courts should have no say over the internal doings, the internal affairs of the National Hockey League. So when the NHL, of course, gets a result, as they did in the Weidman case, that they don't like as a result of that bargain for process, now they go to court, which is inconsistent, of course, with the position they've taken in our case, which tends to show that the NHL at least in this instance, finds nothing wrong with going to court when they get a result from their own process, which in our case, they say, should control. Anyways, we've been talking to Stephen Gregor. I guess at the end of the day, it's more work for lawyers, Stephen. Certainly more work for lawyers for the (laughs) NHL, for lawyers for the Players Association, and for plaintiff's lawyers like myself who, (laughs) to quote Timothy, are hoping we are fighting the good fight and running the good race. Anyways, it's been a pleasure catching up with you. Uh, As you're well aware, we hope you keep fighting this fight. Uh, Naz and I... uh, I've been uh, following the concussion stories in the NFL and in the uh, NHL for a while, and our loyalties lie with the players. We're not, uh, not going to hide that, and we wish you all the best, Stephen. I very much appreciate the opportunity, and I wish you all the best, too. And frankly, I hope PK has a wonderful season, <laughs> but I still hope my Canadians prevail. I think he'll, gonna, he'll love Nashville, that's for sure. You're going to love no Shea. Doubt. 
the happiest guy after the P.K. Subban trade, uh, don't take this the wrong way, Stephen, the happiest guy was Carey Price. Uh, we'll leave it at that. I'll let you mull that one over, Stephen. I'm going to mull that one over. We'll talk about that offline. Okay. Thanks so much. Thanks very much, guys. It's Bye-bye. a pleasure. Uh, Bye. Thank you. That was, of course, with Stephen Gregel. And uh, the part about that, Naz, I uh, just want to come back to uh, – Batman's been the commissioner for a long period of time now, 1993. So what's that? My math is that 23 years. 23 I, years. I'm, I'm almost think when you know, like when he got there, they put this expiry date on him, this best before date, and a couple of the, this particular uh, move and uh, the appeal of the Weidman decision. It just um, he fired it, the arbitrator. He That's fired amazing. he fired an arbitrator with a sterling reputation. Um, um, you know, maybe maybe Bettman's best before day is has arrived, and it's you time know what? to. He brings money in for the well, NHL that, well, owners. Yeah, you know, well, he, you he, know he, what? he got a franchise like Las Vegas to pay yeah. like. I mean, that's and, and, and I guess and I guess that's always been the difference between commissioners and the professional leagues, and that's where the baseball commissioner was always, as to a certain extent, they've always had that acting in the best interest of baseball, and you've had some incredible. You know, Bowie, uh, you know, who's the who's the guy from Baltimore? I can't even remember his name. It was Bowie Kuhn in the old days. There was Faye Vincent. There, uh, Faye, not, Vincent. Uh, Faye Vincent was there, too. Uh, certainly some of the commissioners from in, in historical terms. Uberoth. Yeah. They made some decisions um, that are not necessarily in the owner's interests. I mean, we understand that he serves at the pleasure of. But the baseball commissioners always had this grandiose aura about him. And that he's acting in the best interest of baseball. I I, I don't get that sense. There's only from one Gary commissioner Batman. that I know that acts in the best interest of their sport, and that's Dave, Dave Branch of the OH, OHL. Yeah, he is for the game. No question. And and Adam Silver in the NBA has received some pretty good reviews. Now, um, I mean, he's 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 taken some principled stances against some of the evils of, of, of our modern-day society, racism and uh, homophobia and those types of things. So if that's coming from Adam Silver, then then all the best. If it's coming from the NBA owners, that's fantastic too. But the NBA and the new, the new commissioner there, you've got to give him some credit. You know, certainly he's taken some, some principled stances on, some, on some, some of the issues of our day, and they, I uh, I, I believe I, I, they've taken the all-star game away from Charlotte, North Carolina. They I don't did, know. Yeah, right? Did. So, you know, right or wrong, he's acting above and beyond. Uh, whether that's motivated by dollars or not, obviously they're in a business. But it just seems, you know, this this letter that Gary Bettman wrote, um, uh I, 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 I was about to say I, I don't know what he was thinking. I know exactly what he was thinking. Uh, I just think it was it was an enormous PR mistake, quite frankly. Um, and you know, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time for some new ideas in the commissioner's office in the NHL. I know. I know Gary Bettman makes him a ton of money. Yeah, uh, that's the bottom line for them. He makes him a ton of money, money, but it's a different world. You yeah, know, he has two, a lot of support from the owners. I don't think he's in jeopardy at all. Really. Yeah. Well, at at some point in time, I mean, uh, he's been there twenty three years. Sometimes it's time for some new blood and some new ideas. And uh, certainly some of the moves he's made lately uh, have got some people questioning um, whether his decisions um, are in the best interest of the sport. They certainly don't seem to be 
in in the area of this concussion litigation. It just doesn't seem it. Naz, we've got uh, about half a minute left. I'm going to let you throw in your uh, your last two cents. Well, I just want to say hello to Brian Flesher, who's a good friend of mine and ours, uh, listens to the show quite often, and he's listening in right now. He's had a mild stroke, and uh, hopefully you recover soon, buddy, because the Jays are going all the way. So, hi, Brian. Certainly, the Blue Jays buzz is back in town, and it's going to be an exciting August and September, and hopefully an even more exciting October. To all our listeners, enjoy the rest of the holiday weekend. Be safe. Be careful. We'll be back again next Sunday morning at 9 a.m. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.